Think of a better place to be than praising our King together. Oh, this heaven, yeah, heaven for sure. How about? <laughs> I meant at least while we're here. <laughs> God's good to us, family. God is good to us. You know, we've been uh, looking at the the life of Solomon. We're going to continue to do that tonight, but. So sometimes we could think, well, gee, you know, this guy really messed up. And he did. But, you know, sometimes the road to get where we need to go can be hard and it can be very long. And I think of uh, Solomon's life, you know, and we've been, you know, his disobedience to God and all. But at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, and He learned so much through his life. And you know, the book of Ecclesiastes, he talked about all these things. He learned they were just vanity. And he said this in chapter 12, verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And, you know, as we've studied his life, at least this portion of his life, we've seen that he wasn't following God's commands. And we don't always follow God's commands either. But the road sometimes is long. But don't ever forget who owns you and who bought you and the life that he's given to you, a new life in Christ Jesus, and it's a glorious life. And life here is hard, let's face it, sometimes it can be brutal. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus, okay? First Kings chapter 11, and Father, again, we come to you tonight, and thank you for the privilege to worship you. A sweet, sweet song, sweet voices, sweet hearts raised up to you, hands raised to you, hearts Lifted to our King of Kings, King Jesus. Pray you would speak to us tonight. Help us. We need your help. We always need your help. So we cry out to you tonight, God. We cry out to you. And we thank you that you're hearing us. We want to hear from you as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, update on uh, Kathy O'Dell. She, she went through her procedure today, and to my knowledge, the kidney stone has been destroyed. <laughs> Praise God for that. <laughs> Praise God for that. And I, I imagine she's home right now, resting and recuperating, but the, that is great news. She's gone through some difficult time, but uh, she's now through it, and God's held her through it and kept her through it, and now he's going to strengthen her through it too. First Kings chapter 11 Tonight we're going to be only looking at two verses, 9 and 10. Then we're going to jump into the book of Haggai, and you're going to see why shortly. And tonight's message is entitled, Take a Spiritual Inventory. I think it's important we do this. Uh, Often. Just to see where we are. God, how are we doing? We've seen in King Solomon, as I shared just a few minutes ago, he's headed in a Head in a bad direction. We've seen where he took on 700 wives, 300 concubines. They were pagan wives and 
pagan concubines. And of course, <clears throat> these, these women that uh, he held close, they influenced him greatly. And Solomon, as a result of the relationship that he had with them, he set up altars and small temples to worship their false gods. And remember, the groves that he set up were in full view of the Temple Mount where Solomon's temple was built. You could stand on the Temple Mount and look out and you could see in the Mount of Olives what Solomon had structured and built for these these false gods and false god worship. Verse 8 told us that he did all this for his strange wives. He burned incense and made sacrifices to these false gods, and he really followed after the flesh. And last week, of course, we talked about the works of the flesh, a very enlightening message, wasn't it? Inspiring? <laughs> Not so much, huh? But we need it. We need this. But all this that Solomon did, you know, yes, they saw it from the Temple Mount, but he did it in the face of God. God saw it. And isn't all sin in the face of God, isn't it? When you think about it, Hebrews chapter 4.13 says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God sees it all. We can hide it from whomever we like to hide it from, but God sees it all, and he's the one that we really need to, 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 uh, to please. Well, we see the Lord confronts Solomon in this, and we see it in verse 9. And the Lord was angry with Solomon. Why? Because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared to him twice. In other words, God warned him. God warned Solomon twice. He said, Solomon, listen and obey my voice. Don't be power hungry. Don't be women crazy. For they will turn your heart away from me. Yes, God warned Solomon. But Solomon, be careful. Be careful of idolatry. And it's not like Solomon was, or God was angry with Solomon out of nowhere. You know, this wasn't like a, a surprise statement by God. No, no. He was warned. God knew. He knew Solomon so well as he knows us as well, too. And he said, Solomon, I see weakness in your life. So you need to be careful. And what, Listen, what's the best way to work around the weaknesses in our life? Not work around them, but work through them is to keep our eyes on Jesus, right? And obey his commands. That's best. And maybe Solomon, maybe he heard these warnings and he thought, oh, yeah, 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 right? I'm strong enough. I can turn it off at any time. I can walk away from this temptation at any time. But you know what? He couldn't. And he didn't. Because he didn't desire to. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. And, and the key thing for us to know, family, is none of us can, can do it on our own. We don't have the strength in our flesh. That's why we're instructed to walk in the Spirit. For the Spirit of God has the strength that He imparts to us. Walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lusts of our flesh. Solomon wasn't living in the Spirit. Solomon wasn't walking in the Spirit. And God took note. It says in verse 10, And He commanded him concerning this thing, this thing being 
the mess that he was in, that he should not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord had commanded. Solomon's not sinning in, singing, sinning in ignorance, is he? No, he can't say, God, I, I never heard that before. No, God is speaking very personally to Solomon about the potential of falling into idolatry if he wasn't careful, and Solomon was not careful. And as a result, what should have been a sense of gratitude to the Lord, Lord, look how you've blessed me so incredibly. I prayed for wisdom, and you gave me wisdom greater than any other man, and not only that, you gave me riches, you gave me wealth, enough so that I could build this temple for you. He should have had gratitude and a sense of humility and obedience to the Lord, but that doesn't happen. Why? Because Solomon, he's he's too wrapped up in himself than to consider the Lord and to consider the Lord's ways. And I believe this is highly instructive for us as well. It's important for us, it's important for you and I to take stock, to take spiritual inventory and consider our ways too. And with that, Let's turn to the book of Haggai. It's three books to the left of Matthew. A brief background to this book. The time is about 606 B.C. In Judah, it has been conquered by Babylon Jerusalem was burned, Solomon's temple was destroyed, and the people were carried away into captivity for 70 years. And in 538 B.C., there was an edict by King Cyrus. 50,000 Jewish captives left Babylon. They returned to Jerusalem, their homeland, and they had a goal. The goal was to rebuild Solomon's temple that was destroyed and to restore the nation. So the work began in 536 B.C. It was led by a man named Zerubbabel. He built an altar. The foundation was laid in 535 B.C., but the work came to a halt just two short years later due to discouragement from the neighboring nations. And for 14 years, the work of the temple sat idle. Not I-D-O-L. I-D-L-E. Nothing was done. The temple of the Lord, the temple of God was neglected due to discouragement. And the enemy knows how to get to us, doesn't he? Discouragement. The fiery darts of discouragement, they can really set us off course, can't they? It could come from a word from somebody, a look from somebody, anything. We can get thrown off course just like that. We can get discouraged in a heartbeat. But you know, we have to understand the source of those discouragements. God doesn't discourage us. He encourages us. He fills us with his spirit so that we can walk with him. And the enemy doesn't like to see that. Of course not. So here's a fiery dart here or there. And guess what? We look at the fiery darts of discouragement, don't don't we? Rather than lifting up the shield of faith to quench those fiery darts. When we ought to be saying, God, you're stronger than, you're much greater than these fiery darts. I have faith in you, and yet there's part of us that says, oh man, this is tough. And we take our eyes off of Jesus, and we look at these darts coming at us. 
and we turn not necessarily away from the Lord, but we're not pressing into the Lord, the place where we can find our strength. Well, this is what happened to the people. For 14 years, this temple sat idle, and the people, they lost interest, and they just continued on their normal lives. I'm so discouraged, I'm just going to do what I was doing before. Normal business activities. They focused on their own lives, their own cares, their own concerns, as if the command to rebuild the temple had been retracted. Well, you know the devastating effects that neglect has. You know, there's places called zombie homes. Why, why are they such a mess? Because they're vacant. They're not attended to. Back when we started looking at this building, it had been vacant for four, four almost five years. And you could smell it from across the street, right? Ange and Kathy, you know, you were here. It's like this building was a mess. The property was a mess. Why? Simply neglect. Nobody did anything. Why? There was nobody's to do anything with. Well, God opened the doors. He blew a fresh breeze through this place, and it doesn't smell anymore. <laughs> and he built it. God built it. But you know, there's spiritual implications of neglect in our relationship with, with our Lord. If we neglect our relationship with the Lord, things start to crumble, they start to tumble, don't they? Well, the work on this temple was resumed in 520 B.C. and it was completed in four years. And the work was resumed <clears throat> when a man, a prophet named Haggai, he came to speak to the people about priorities. God sent him. Let's read verses 1 through 7 of the book of Haggai. It says, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, <clears throat> in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai, the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O you, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much, and bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages earneth wages, and puts them in a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. The Lord speaks of the people and they say, listen, God, it, it's not time. It's not time to do the work of the Lord. It, it's not time to rebuild the temple. Well, what are they doing? They're making excuses. Well, I've, I'll get there when I get there. I've got other things that I need to do. Much more important, I've been so busy, they excused themselves from the Lord's work. People said, it's not my time. There'll be another time. You know, God, let, let, just listen, I'll, I'll let you know when I'm ready. You see, they lost sight of the priority in their lives. And you know, we're not on the clock with God. 
And our relationship with Him isn't based on us punching in or out. It's to be constant. It's to be steady and steadily increasing, growing and dynamic, walking in the Spirit. Which means we're to immerse ourselves in the ways of God, in the ways of the Holy Spirit of God. Eyes fixed on Jesus, reading the Word of God, and gleaning the Word of God. And the Lord is so faithful for His desire for us is that we have a strong relationship with Him. That's, that's what He wants. One of obedience and faith and trust. And when we slip or we drift off course, He's so good to bring us back, isn't He? The Spirit of God speaks to us. Maybe a brother or sister God has sent. As, as God sent this prophet Haggai to speak to the people, and maybe there's a brother or sister in, the Christ, in Christ that would speak to you, speak truth into your life. And that's what God did here. He used this prophet to speak to the children of Israel. And it wasn't an easy word. He comments on their sealed houses. In other words, they're, they're paying attention to their own priorities. Oh, their fancy painted ceilings, the finest polished wood, so wonderfully adorned. And God says, you know, you're, you're applying your, all your attention to your own priorities rather than applying your attention to me while my house remains in ruins, while you're out doing your own thing. And what it did, it, what it reflected was their attitude toward God. Isn't it true with us sometimes too? You know, our priorities can get out of whack. We could say or hear things like, well, you know, I, I, I'd like to, but I don't have time to read my Bible. And what's really meant is this, I don't make the time. Or I don't really, my days are busy, I don't have time for prayer. Which really means, I don't make the time to pray. Or I don't make time to worship the Lord. Whatever it might be. And then we wonder, why is my walk with the Lord slipping? Why am I not walking in the Spirit? Well, how about the temple of the Holy Spirit? You know, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. And, and the question is, you know, and it's not so much building the physical temple of the building... It's this temple. Are we building this temple? We're living temples of God, spiritual temples. And, and the day we invited Jesus into our hearts, the day of our new birth is the day we literally ask the Holy Spirit of God, God, take up residence right here. I'm inviting you. I'm receiving you to be Lord of my life. And our bodies became His temple. His temple. And the beautiful fact that we're literally, we literally house the Holy Spirit has two sides. One, that He is ours, and second, that we are His. And we are purchased by Jesus' shed blood on Calvary, a great price paid for us. A greater love hath no man than this than one that would lay down his life for his friends. But you see, you know, as I think about this, I take stock of my own life. You know, so much of our lives today, my life today, can focus on the outside, right? Rather than the inside. And the outside wants you to keep focusing on the outside, right? right? Isn't that what the advertising world is all about? 
The advertising world says it's all about meat and it dictates to me what my needs are. Establishing my earthly desires, it's all about the things around me, outside of me, may it be automobiles or homes, whatever it could be, the clothing, what we drink, what we eat, with whom we associate how they affect me and how these things affect others' perception of me. And if we listen to that long enough, we begin to realize, you know what, this is all about me. Until God recalibrates us. And he says, he says consider your ways. That's what God said through the prophet. Consider your ways. Take stock of your priorities. The temple of the Holy Spirit must be maintained and cared for and, and fed. And there's so much to feed our minds. You know, our minds are like sponges. They're incredibly complex Marvelous creations, they're like sponges, right? So I guess it depends on what we allow to enter in, you know, through our senses. You know, Paul the Apostle described in Philippians 4, verse 8, he, he said, the thing, take into things that are honest, the things that are just and pure and lovely, virtuous and praiseworthy. And when Paul wrote to the Roman church in chapter 12, verse 2, he said, we will not be conformed to this world, but we will be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Not the capturing of our minds by what's out there, but rather the renewing of our minds. And, you know, that's part of our, this temple maintenance. And we can come up with a million excuses not to do what we know is right, a million excuses not to care for this temple spiritually, but there's only one reason to do what we know in our hearts is right. And what is that reason? Family, all we have to do is look at the cross and see what Jesus has done for me. And you know, Jesus wasn't neglectful in pursuing his relationship with any one of us. He didn't say to his father in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, you know, this is hard stuff. I'd rather go out fishing with Peter and Andrew than suffer and die on this cross. He didn't say, no, that God, you know, I think your timing's a bit off. I have other priorities. No, his priority was his father's priority, which is the kingdom priority, right? He came to save sinners like us. Singular mission. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. So, it's all about wills, isn't it? it? It's either my will or God's will, and God's will is always best. The children of Israel, well, they sought to live, quote-unquote, the, the good life, apart from obedience to God, yet still expected God's blessings, just like Solomon did. But here's what Jesus said in Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. He said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For your where your treasures, there will your heart be also. Those are words of encouragement by Jesus and a warning by Jesus. He says, place your affections not here. And when we think about the whole timeline of our of our lives here in eternity. I mean, this is just a, a tiny, it's a vapor, James call. This is, this is a very small amount compared to the extent of eternity. So he's saying, listen, your priorities ought to be 
eternally minded, not worldly. And our affections will direct our lives. Matthew 6.33, Jesus said, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Verse 5 in Haggai chapter 1, Now therefore thus saith the Lord, Consider your ways. It's very polite, but a strong warning to the people. And the word consider, it has meaning to it. It means this. Literally, set your heart upon, take stock of, take inventory, examine, and in this case, above all all else, make it the first thing you do before anything else. Take a hard look. Scrutinize your ways and overlay your ways against the kingdom ways and kingdom priorities and see how they line up. And is there a match or is there a mismatch? Examine God's priorities in your life. And what place does your relationship with God have in your life? So some questions. Are you applying your efforts first on kingdom priorities, the seek ye first the kingdom priorities, or personal priorities? And whose agenda are you following? Is it, is it your agenda or God's agenda? And have my desires overshadowed those of God? Have I lost the vision of this temple care due to neglect? Has it faded somewhat into relative unimportance? And if you examine your personal relationship with Jesus, would you be as guilty as the people of Israel of doing other things while the temple of the Lord lies in waste? Paul the Apostle, he looked upon the city of Corinth and what he saw was this is a very prosperous city. One of the most prosperous cities in the world, a center of commerce, full of wealth, Yet, as he looked closer, he saw a city decaying from the inside because their priorities were wrong. They were neglectful of the things of God, which led them into division, led them into immorality. And you know, family, when we look at at our own nation, the, the United States of America, we have been a prosperous nation, haven't we? We've enjoyed incredible prosperity in a very short, relatively short period of time compared to the rest of the world. But you know, we started out in a way where we were completely dependent on God. And as we enjoyed our prosperity, we began to focus on prosperity and seek prosperity. And then things began to change. In fact... As a nation, we've declared our independence twice. First from Great Britain, then from God. On June 25th, 1962, the United States Supreme Court declared prayer in public schools unconstitutional. Unconstitutional. How can it be? But you know what? Thankfully, there is a a real Supreme Court. It's the court of God that never errs and never fails. And we've seen incredible change in our nation since 1962 as a result of that Supreme Court decision. And it continues. There's groups whose entire goal is to erase any evidence of Christianity from society. And it shouldn't be a surprise. You know, the Bible speaks to this. uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's not going to come up on the board, but I'll read it to you. Just seven verses. 
<clears throat> or Paul wrote to Timothy, and he said, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful and unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Does it sound like today? It sure sounds like today to me. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus warned of great deceptions that will take place. And why is that? It's because man has neglected the things and the ways of the Lord, the things that are important to the Lord. And listen, I don't say any of this so you'd become discouraged by the things around you. Here's why. Because it's a sign of Jesus' soon return. He is coming back. Luke 21, verse 28 says, And when these things begin to come to pass... Look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draws nigh. We serve a God of hope. When things seem bleak, we serve a God of hope. When things seem dark, we, we serve a God of light. When the world seems full of lies, we serve a God who is truth. And he says, I want you to look up. If life's getting you down, look a little higher. We need to pray for our country, don't we? We're called to. 1 Timothy 2, 2, for kings and all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all God, godliness and honesty. And yes, family, certainly as a nation, we, we must consider our ways. But you know, every nation is made up of individuals. And we as individuals have a personal responsibility to consider our ways. And, you know, we can point our fingers directly down to Washington, D.C. or Albany, New York, right? We can blame the government or anybody else, but, you know, you, what you know is right. And what's right is what God says is right. And do what you know is right. And he said, consider your ways, take stock of what you are doing. Are you living in sealed houses while the temple of the Lord lie in waste? You know, personal temple maintenance is so incredibly important. Job 37, verse 14. It says, Hearken unto this, O Job, stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. Isn't it glorious when, when you look up and you see what God has set in the heavens and you bring glory and praise to him. God, this is you. You hold the stars in place. You hold the planets in place. There are billions and billions and billions and billions and billions upon billions of stars in the heavens, and God holds them all in place. You look up and you see the constellations on a clear night, one of the few clear nights we see around here. We went to see the northern lights the other night. They were supposed to be over Lake Ontario, but you know, we couldn't see them. It was too cloudy. But we went. We want to see this, this wonderful thing that God would put on display for those that are able to see it. And it's all to his praise. 
You look up and you see the constellations. So glorious. You see the sunset, the sunrise. Doug and Don, last night you were saying, you're walking and you looked up and you saw a formation that looked like a cross in the sky. God is alive in God as well to the glory of God. So take time and meditate on God's wonders. Consider His ways. It says in Job, listen and stand still. Listen for God's voice. Sometimes so still and small, which means that we need to apply extra attention and effort in order to hear Him, right? It's hard to hear Him in the midst of clamor. And the world's a noisy place that the enemy uses to drown out the voice of God through distraction. And as our lives become busier and busier, we need to stand still long enough and listen intently enough to consider the wondrous works of God. And you know when we do, when we, we, we set our minds on these kind of things and the wonder of our God, what happens is it has a cleansing value because it's an act of worship as we meditate on His beauty and His magnificence and we can't help but praise Him. Verse 6 describes the state of the people, but it's not necessary to stay there because Jesus is the solution. He said, you have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Describes the, the fruit of unfruitful living. Temples neglected. Little evidence of spiritual fruit. And it's a good check for us. If you see just a little spiritual fruit in your life, then maybe it's time to take stock and to do what the prophet says here, to consider your ways. And he's saying here, you know, you, you can expend great effort in sowing, but the yield was disappointing. You looked for much and yielded little as expectations were earthly rather than heavenly. Are we sowing spiritual seeds? What are we sowing? And you know, it doesn't require a lot of seeds to bring forth a good harvest, but they need to be the right seeds in the right soil. Galatians 6, 8 says, For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. So, you know, the law of sowing and reaping. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. In Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. Sow to yourselves in righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord. And what is it? It's the Lord's word that breaks up that fallow ground. Time to consider our ways and take stock of our priorities. If there's fallow ground or hard soil, God, break it up. Break up the hardness in my heart. It's time to seek the Lord. He said in verse 6, you eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. They were never satisfied. They were never Never pleased with what they had. They were not nourished and refreshed. Maybe, maybe their diet was too much of the world, right? Spiritual junk food. Maybe they attempted to find 
satisfaction from earthly things. But you know, we know this, don't we? We know it in our heart that satisfaction will never come from this world. And we can be fooled into thinking that it will satisfy us. We're all born with a hunger. We're all born with a thirst. And most of us spent many, many years trying to satisfy ourselves on earthly junk food diet, bringing unfilled promises from the enemy. And sometimes we still go there. But Jesus, he gave us the entire banquet. If you're hungry, Jesus said this, John 6, 35. He said, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Simple solution. Feast on his banquet that he offers to us. Spend time with Jesus, the, the bread of life, the manna from heaven. Jesus restored a woman at the well who was dying of thirst. The, uh, the worldly water wasn't satisfying for her, and she, she had all kinds of broken and sinful relationships, and it left her empty. And here's what Jesus said to her in John chapter 4. He said, Whosoever drink of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water which I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And then he commanded her, he said, now listen, go and sin no more. He's saying, consider your ways, woman. Take stock of your priorities. And it is the living water of our Savior Jesus that cleanses us and purifies us. So this command that was given here in Haggai to build, rebuild and restore the temple, it's a command for us. It's a command for you and it's a command for me. Maybe some of you are thinking, well, this temple is kind of a mess. It's a huge job. Tracked a lot of stuff from the world in. But you know what? God didn't say it's a hard thing to do. We need to simply consider our ways and then be open to what God tells us. And once these people had their hearts set right, it, it only took them four years to rebuild the temple. So it can be done. And if God is speaking to you tonight to consider your ways, then by all means, consider your ways. Rebuild and restore that which Jesus desires. Jesus said, ask, didn't he? And that you'll receive. Lord, there's some work to be done in this temple. I'm asking you to show me. I want to consider my ways. I want to consider my priorities. I want to take a spiritual inventory. Show me. He'll gladly help you take stock. And when you do, verse 13 of this chapter says, I am with you. I am with you, saith the Lord. You know, Jesus won't ever leave you to do it on your own. He knows you can't. And what will the result of this be? Well, verse 8 tells us, I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified. Thus saith the Lord. 
God takes pleasure in the building and rebuilding process of these temples because they're dedicated to Him for His glory and for His purposes. And He said, I will take pleasure in it. That's encouragement, isn't it? And I'd suggest that whatever it takes to recalibrate, to take inventory, to take stock, to re-examine our priorities, it's worth it. And you know, the, the, the children of Israel, they said, well, we'll do that later, God. That's, that's not good enough. And for us, we could say, well, let me pray about it and see. No, if God's spoken to you, he's spoken to you. He isn't going to change his mind through prayer. The prayer ought to be, God, help me. <laughs> help me to do this. So it really needs to start right here and right now. You know, God has spoken to us tonight through his word. He said, this is what I want. He's saying, consider your ways. The question is, are you in? And will you? Will we? Dan, will I? Will I? And Father, I, I pray that each of us has a willing heart to do that which the Holy Spirit instructs us to consider our ways, take stock. And Lord, if you've shown some of us here tonight where perhaps we've neglected this temple, this personal temple maintenance, then please, please show us. We certainly want you to take pleasure in what takes place in these temples. So help us to bring you pleasure, to bring you glory, to bring you honor, and to bring you praise. And I'm so grateful that you, Jesus, your priorities were right in order and always right on. You know what your Father asked you to do, and that is to lay down your life and pay a price that sinners like us could never, ever pay. We thank you, Father God, that your son Jesus didn't try to bail out or have other priorities. He came with one thing in mind. You came to save sinners from their sins. You came to save me from my sins. You came to save us from our sins. We've trusted in you. We've received you. And we're crying out to you tonight, Lord. We're crying out for help. Please help us. In whatever area of our lives we need help, you are a present help in trouble. We thank you for always being there for us, always loving us, always caring for us. Standing with us. Rescuing us. Bring our, our attention back to you when we've drifted. We thank you, God, for forgiving us completely and totally. You're so good. You're so loving and wonderful, gracious and merciful, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.